Howdy, y'all. Before we get started, uh, I have a little housekeeping, as the cool kids say. Or when I say cool kids, I mean bookish nerds in the podcasting sphere. First, this podcast is five years old now. Uh, I started it in January 2014, and now it's 2019. Um, So, hey, five years. Uh, Second, I have a suggestion for you. Today's episode is about the Virgin of Guadalupe, and it's a short episode, so I am leaving out tons and tons of stuff. If you have something that you would like to say about this particular topic, you can write to me at brandon at digitalnomad.mx. And yeah, I hate my website name, but I've I hated it since 10 seconds after I hit the buy button, so... That's my website name for now, and it's not going to change for the foreseeable future. Anyway, Brandon at digitalnomad.mx. If you have something to say about the topic today, something that I left out, or just something that you think would be interesting for the podcast audience to hear, write to me, let me know what you think, and I might read your message on the podcast. And then the third thing, I am by no means an expert on Mexico. And so I don't really just talk extemporaneously about about Mexico or Mexican culture, things like that. But I know someone who is really good at that stuff, specifically my wife. And I've been wondering if it would be interesting to the podcast audience to do some interviews with her in Spanish. She can speak English, but but she can really speak Spanish. And she has a lot to say about Mexico. She's been one of my, probably my biggest teacher on everything Mexican, you know, since I met her. These interviews would, not even interviews, conversations. So this would really be more of what a typical podcast is like, just a conversation back and forth in Spanish. So if you speak Spanish, like if you're a native Spanish speaker and you're listening to this, your English is pretty good. But I've been toying with the idea of doing something in Spanish. And I would I would mark these episodes differently so that you know when it comes up that it's a, a Spanish language episode. So if you don't speak Spanish, you can just delete it, ignore it, whatever. My wife and I have had a lot of conversations about Mexico that would be really, really good for this podcast, but we just haven't recorded them. So write to me, brandon at digitalnomad.mx, if you are interested in that. I want to gauge, like, is anyone interested in this? Is no one interested in this? Should I just stop thinking about it? So if you are interested in this, let me know. Get, you know, Write to me. And then all I have to do is corral my wife into a, a room and make her sit down for more than five minutes. Uh, which is harder than it sounds. Now let's talk about the Virgin of Guadalupe for a little bit. If you have heard of the blogging platform, if you've heard of the blogging platform Medium, there was a woman in around 2017 who was writing quite a bit about Mexico. Her name is Diane Douglas, and she, I guess, did some some volunteering with schools in Mexico. I I don't know exactly what it was, but she did some one piece specifically about the Virgin of Guadalupe that I think is really interesting and would be good for this podcast. 
she has a blog post called Why the Virgin of Guadalupe Lives in Every Heart in Mexico. So I'm going to read a bit of her blog, and then I want to read a little bit from The Life and Times of Mexico by Earl Shores. And I think those pieces will sort of help us get a, a basic understanding of this topic. Again, we're not going to go in depth, but let's just get into it. Uh, so why the Virgin of Guadalupe lives in every heart in Mexico. While I was in the framing shop in Puerto Vallarta waiting to pick up some photographs, I flipped through the stacks of finished jobs leaning against the wall across from the till. At least 80% of them were images of the Virgin of Guadalupe. In Mexico, Our Lady of Guadalupe inspires widespread devotion. Whenever I pull out the Guadalupe billfold I bought in the, in the market, shopkeepers and taco vendors regard it with envy. Images of the Virgin are everywhere in rural Mexico, painted on the cinder blocks of half-constructed houses, glimpsed through the open door or window of homes and schools and restaurants and bars, hanging from the rearview mirror of buses and cars, passed in small shrines along every roadside, stenciled on t-shirts and candles, and pencil cases even stitched on the back of cowboy boots. Driving up a steep mountain toward the Franciscan missions of Sierra Gorda, I saw a giant image of the Virgin of Guadalupe painted on the mountain's rocky peak. Uh, and Diane says that it, the images are everywhere in rural Mexico, but in urban areas, you, it, it's everywhere too. It's not just rural. A few years ago, when I was working on the scientific method in the grade four class at the school where I've been volunteering, a little girl discovered a surprising thing about the Virgin of Guadalupe. I had begun the class by letting students play with magnets at their desks. Then I asked them to list what they thought might be magnetic in the classroom. Together, they constructed a list. The metal door, the legs of their desks, the swivel stand holding the 50-liter water jug, too rusted to swivel, the snaps of a jacket, the windowsill. Once each student had copied our hypotheses into their notebooks, I let them loose testing. They ran around the classroom, snapping their magnets onto everything, and then running to the blackboard to record their findings. Yes to the door, no to the zipper of a jacket, yes to the swivel stand, no to the wooden desktops, yes to the windowsill, and a paperclip. I was wearing a medallion of the Virgin of Guadalupe that day, and I bent to hold it before Fatima. Do you think we should test the Virgin? I asked. Fatima's big brown eyes went wide. She held her magnet to the necklace and... I was surprised to see that the medallion didn't attract. The virgin is not magnetic, I said. Fatima's response was instant and matter-of-fact. Neither is Jesus, she said, and then she ran off to make more tests. Octavio Paz, the Mexican poet and Nobel laureate, famously commented that after centuries of promises and betrayals, Mexicans believe in only two things, the Virgin of Guadalupe and the National Lottery. Faith in the Virgin unites rich and poor, urban and rural, peasants and professors. Those who live in Mexico revere her, and those who are forced to live away hold her image as the dream of return. Even foreigners cannot resist her appeal. The reason why is a two-part story. I first saw this, the full story of Guadalupe in a church in Quiroga, a village near the beautiful colonial city of Morelia. Quiroga is entirely devoted to making things of wood. Tables, chairs, headboards, sideboards, cribs, beds, boxes, kitchen utensils, candle holders, carved animals of all sizes and types. As in every Mexican town, Quiroga's Socalo, 
or Central Park, is ringed with taco carts, juice stands, and shoeshine carts. A seated Indian with a feathered headdress and an elaborately fanned staff sits atop an incongruous Corinthian column in the Sokolo's center. Our guide told us the statue represents the Aztec emperor Moctezuma. Since Morelia is Tarascan territory, and the Tarascans were not only famously fierce, but sworn enemies of the Aztecs, I am more inclined to believe the director of our language school who identified the figure as Curicaueri, the Tarascan fire god, also associated with the sun. Curicaueri <laughs> was reputedly a child prince when the Spanish arrived. Whoever he is, the indigenous leader sits above the plaza and the virgin lives just at the end of the street. Her home is a beautiful retreat only a single step away from the bustling vendors of wood. A simple church tells her story in eight brightly painted panels. It's a story that unites the sculpture in the Socolo and the church. On December 12, 1531, Juan Diego, a poor indigenous farmer, chose a shortcut over the hill of Tepeyac at the northern edge of what is now Mexico City to seek help for his dying grandfather. At the crest of the hill, a dark-skinned virgin appeared to him in a celestial vision. She spoke to Juan Diego in his native language, Nahual, which astonished him. Go to the bishop, she told him, and tell him that I want to build a basilica in this place. Juan Diego went to the bishop as bidden, but the Spanish bishop refused to see the Aztec farmer. Juan Diego went back over the hill of Tepeyac, and the virgin appeared to him again. Gather roses, the virgin told him and take them to the bishop. Juan Diego was confused. It was winter and long past the time of flowers. Yet he looked among the rocks at the top of the hill, and he found the roses blooming. Gathering the roses into his cloak, he returned to the bishop. This time the guards received him and allowed him into the palace. When he knelt before the bishop, the roses fell from his cloak, and the vision he had seen an olive-skinned virgin wearing a mantle dotted with stars and surrounded by rays of light, miraculously appeared on the cloth. The bishop, amazed to see an image of the virgin on the tilma, or cloak, of a peasant farmer, ordered a church to be built at once. When Juan Diego returned to the hill of Tepeyac, he met the virgin again and told her of his dying grandfather. Her image appeared beside the ailing man's bed, and Juan Diego's grandfather was healed. The easiest answer to the virgin's popularity in Mexico is this story. A dark-skinned virgin who appeared to an indigenous farmer spoke to him in his native language and interceded on his behalf. This may have been enough to ensure Guadalupe's reverence throughout the country, but the deal was even more firmly sealed 300 years later. Miguel Hidalgo, a libertine and Roman Catholic priest nicknamed El Zorro, the fox, for his cleverness, was an intellectual firebrand whose wide reading led him to challenge the authority of Spanish rule in New Spain. Born a criollo of Spanish parents in Mexico, he had fewer rights and privileges than peninsulares, Spanish-born citizens living in the New World. Hidalgo recognized many of the injustices of colonial rule, including Spain's prohibition of growing grapes and olives in the fertile soil of the Mexican heartland, in order not to compete with imports from Spain, and its harsh treatment of Mexico's indigenous people. Recognizing the power of a symbol, Hidalgo raised a flag bearing an image of the Virgin of Guadalupe and issued his famous grito or cry for Mexican independence. 
On September 16, 1810, Mexico began an uneven battle to overthrow the heavy yoke of Spain. The cloak on which the Virgin of Guadalupe's image first appeared is preserved in the Basilica of Our Lady of Guadalupe, on the hill of Tepeyac, on the outskirts of Mexico City. Unlike the roadside shrines to Guadalupe throughout Mexico, the basilica is massive. A modern concrete temple dominating one side of a plaza that holds 10,000 people. Estimates of as many as 12 million pilgrims visited the shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe on December 12, 2016. What? 12 million people on one day? The old basilica, begun in 1695, not the one built by the bishop, is on the northern side of the plaza. Baroque in appearance, with towers and domes and elaborate ornamentation, it cants at an alarming angle. Like most of the old buildings in Mexico City, the old basilica is sinking into the clay bed of the ancient lake on which the city was built. The new basilica hangs from tension cables radiating out from a bridge-like pylon to prevent its suffering the same fate. No expense has been spared to protect the, the cloak, although it can be argued that precautions were unnecessary. People say that the colors of the image on the holy cloak have not faded since the date when the Virgin first appeared to Juan Diego. In 1921, a bomb set by revolutionaries protesting the continuing power and abuses of the church exploded in the gracious old basilica. The bomb destroyed the main altar, bent a massive brass crucifix, and blew out the windows of nearby homes. Miraculously, the cloak remained unharmed. The twisted crucifix now lies on a white silk cushion in the new basilica, and the cloak, with its image of Our Lady of Guadalupe, is protected behind bulletproof glass. I came to love the Virgin long before I learned of her miracles, or her revolutionary history, or the supernatural protection of Juan Diego's cloak. The image alone made me a fan. I was first attracted by the portrayal of light, the stars on her cloak, and the rays radiating out from her body as if from the sun. The image of the Virgin is surrounded by a mandorla, an aureole of light, contained within a thin dark membrane like the brown silk of an almond beneath its husk. The mandorla contains the Virgin's power, combining the properties of both seed and light, and it makes her the ultimate symbol of rebirth and regeneration. Guadalupe appears both humble and powerful, both physical and celestial, both radiant and demure. Her image, as it appeared to Juan Diego, is like the fresh promise of dawn. Every photo or painting or sculpture or poster I see of the Virgin of Guadalupe, no matter how saccharine or how garish, is made beautiful by that light. Her mandorla is a mantle of hope, symbolizing the latent potential of every new day. Mexico lives on that hope. The Virgin of Guadalupe offers the possibility of a better life to all her people, a powerful symbol in a country where over half the population lives in poverty. I recommend you go read this article, or if not, read the whole thing. At least go to it and look at the pictures. It has a bunch of different representations of the, the Virgin of Guadalupe. All right, now let's see a little bit of what Earl Shores has to say about the Virgin. The first wave of Spaniards to arrive in New Spain were adventurers. Then came the religious, Franciscans and Dominicans and Augustinians and later Jesuits, representing two different approaches to saving the natives. 
The powerful Franciscans wanted to Hispanicize the Mexican religion, and the Jesuits wanted to Mexicanize Christianity. Both views led to syncretism. They merely started from different places. The most syncretic of miracles took place in 1531 at Tepeyac, or Tepeyacac, outside the capital, where a Christianized Aztec, Juan Diego, said the Virgin of Guadalupe appeared to him. It was a small event at the time, virtually unremarked, but it was to become one of the most important events in Mexican history. There has been a great debate over the miracle, with some scholars arguing that Juan Diego did not exist, and with Rome making a saint of Juan Diego. When asked if the miracle actually happened, Miguel Leon Portilla, who is the leading authority on the period, answered with a philosophical shrug, what difference does it make? and went on to speak of the powerful role of the Virgin of Guadalupe in Mexico. And now, Enrique Krause, from Mexico, Biography of Power. The feast day of the Virgin of Guadalupe, December 12, was perhaps the greatest occasion on the church calendar. Year after year, an enormous assemblage of her faithful followers would pay their homage on that date to the Virgin, staying up all night in the courtyard before her shrine. In 1895, by decree of Pope Leo XIII, the Virgin of Guadalupe was officially crowned Queen of Mexico. In December 1910, 100,000 of her devotees managed to enter the basilica to worship her, though many who had made the journey were left outside. Even the most casual observer of the social scene in Mexico City would have noticed in 1910 the long processions of Indian men, women, and children with their brightly colored blankets and bare or sandaled feet moving continually from all parts of the valley and down from the mountain passes to kneel before the altar of the sacred image of the Dark Virgin, our Mother of Guadalupe, which they believed had appeared on the cloak of the pious Indian Juan Diego in 1531. Mexicans might argue about the fathers of the patria, or fatherland, but there was no discussion as to who was the mother of every Mexican, whether liberal or conservative. The Virgin of Guadalupe has been Mexico's supreme expression of popular religiosity. Like the Virgin of Laredo and the Virgin of Los Remedios, the White Virgin of Guadalupe has arrived from Spain, specifically from Extremadura, the native province of Cortes and many other conquistadors, in the 16th century. The Spaniards had worshipped her in a small hermitage in the Tepeyac Hills, north of Mexico City. For reasons shrouded in myth and legend, but most probably because she is supposed to have appeared to the Indian Juan Diego at a site where an indigenous goddess had been revered. The missionaries recorded the name of the goddess as Tonantzin, our mother. The Spanish cult image was replaced by that of a dark-skinned virgin. That was an extremely convoluted sentence. I apologize on behalf of Enrique Krause. Nobody should write like that. Maybe it's different in Spanish. I don't know. According to skeptics, the new image had been painted in the middle of the 16th century and placed in the hermitage by order of the second bishop of New Spain, Alonso de Montufar, in an effort to strengthen the secular church against the competition of the mendicant orders. And it seems relevant that one of the most illustrious Franciscans, Sagaun himself, criticized the cult of the Virgin of Guadalupe as a remnant of idolatry. But for the multitude of her devotees, historical truth had little importance. The Virgin had appeared, like the burning bush to Moses, on the cloak of Juan Diego. As early as the 16th century, 
The Indians brought her offerings and gifts of food, but it was not until midway through the 17th century that various Creole priests, the most important was Miguel Sanchez, who wrote a tract about her, began to popularize the Virgin of Guadalupe. Through the Virgin, they were attempting to create a potent symbol that could anchor the hold of Christianity on the people of Mexico. The story of her appearance on the coarse cloak of the Indian stems from this time. The titles of the first publications about the Virgin of Guadalupe speak for themselves. The Happiness of Mexico, or The Miraculous Origin of the Sanctuary of the Virgin Mary of Guadalupe, or The Northern Star on the Height of Mount Tepeyac, the Shore of the Tezucan Sea, to light the faith of Indians, to set Spaniards on the path of virtue, to calm the tempestuous flooding of the lake. Around 1660, a broad new avenue was built from the center of Mexico City to the sanctuary at Tepeyac. It was flanked by chapels representing the mysteries of the rosary. In 1695, work began on a large and splendid new church for which a spacious square was designed to accommodate the thousands of Indian pilgrims who arrived daily from every part of the country to dance and sing hymns for the Virgin in their mother tongues. During the outbreak of a plague in 1737, the Virgin was proclaimed patron of Mexico City. Ten years later, she would be recognized as the universal patron of the whole country. Long before that, she had become the symbol of the mestizo union between Creoles and Indians, a representation of the process that formed the Mexican nation. In her name, her iconography, her formal religious significance, she was a Spanish virgin. But just as the ancient cultures had escaped from the boundaries of their indigenous origins and, modified by Spanish influence, found their survival within a mestizo identity, so the color of the Indian found a refuge in the dark skin and soft smile of that image, creating a virgin for themselves, a Mexican virgin. From the 17th century on, the Virgin of Guadalupe would become a central figure in all of the swings of Mexican history. Now, is there more to say about the Virgin of Guadalupe? Yes, of course. I could probably go to YouTube right now and find 20 hour-long college lectures about the subject. But I think we're okay for one podcast episode. If you have something more to say about the Virgin of Guadalupe, please write to me, brandon at digitalnomad.mx. And again, I'm going to disregard all, all of the business advice in the whole business advice giving industry. And I'm going to give multiple calls to action here. So if you have something to say about the Virgin of Mexico, write to me. If you have something to say about Mexico in general, hopefully not a travelogue or a political diatribe, write to me. If you think episodes in Spanish would be a good idea, if you would be interested to hear my wife's thoughts about Mexico in Spanish, and maybe in the future in English, write to me. So again, my email address is brandon at digitalnomad.mx. Write to me, let me know what you think. And uh, that's it. 